Hey y'all, welcome to the Think Inclusive podcast. I'm your host, Tim Villegas. If you aren't familiar with who we are, our main goal is to build a bridge between parents, educators, and disability rights advocates to promote inclusive education. We do this by publishing articles by disabled writers, parents of children with disabilities, and educators who are all in for inclusion. We are a big group, and we are only getting bigger. And this podcast is an extension of what we try to do every day on the website. Typically, I have a short story or anecdote to share with you to set up the interview, but like many of us these days, I am just worn out. I started the seventh season of this podcast strong about a year ago, thinking that I would be able to finish by the end of 2019. And here we are in the middle of 2020, and I have at least six more interviews already recorded but not produced, slated to wrap up the rest of the season. So most likely from here on out, I'm going to try to keep my comments brief so that we can get to the interviews. I've had the privilege of speaking with some fantastic educators and advocates over the years, and we have really just scratched the surface uh, of the information that is available to equip you to advocate for your child or student. So with that being said, after a short break, my interview with Carol Quirk, CEO of the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Carol Quirk, and you are listening to the Think Inclusive podcast. Uh, thank you for your time, and I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Well, me too. Um, so m- many might not know who you are. I know who you are. 
Um, and I know your work with TASH and uh, the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Ed. Um, but why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your connection with the disability rights movement? Sure. Um, I've been working in the field of disabilities and in particular uh, education for quite a while now and um, have worked with and been on the board of TASH, which is an organization devoted uh, specifically to the interests of people with the most significant disabilities. Um, but I've also been associated with other organizations um, nationally that um, have an interest in disability rights and um, inclusive education or inclusion in general. For example, the National Council on Disability, um, the Council of Parent Attorneys and Advocates, um, some universities, University of Kansas, the University of New Hampshire, um, are organizations that are, have a particular um, interest in more progressive disability policies and practices. Um, and I've had the opportunity to work um, on some national projects that were funded by the U.S. Department of Education, which may not be necessarily disability rights oriented, but definitely focused on issues related to including children with disabilities um, in public education. Now, uh, weren't you a part of a, uh, a group? You were part of a group that put together a publication just recently. Educational issues, and the one that I was primary author on was entitled um, something like Segregation of Children with Disabilities. And that was the title they chose, but the focus was on um, what is the current state of the nation in terms of practices related to inclusion versus exclusion and how students with disabilities are educated. Now, I saw... A very interesting statistic um, put out by Education Week. I just saw an infographic about different states and their inclusion rate, and I was surprised to see that Alabama was high on the list. Is is that mm -hmm. <laughs> is that something that you? I I mean I guess that's a, I guess that is a bias of my of of me, <laughs> but um, yeah. In uh, Hawaii is the lowest. Is that correct? Right. That's correct. If you look historically, Alabama um, has been um, at or near the top. Um, I don't know as much about Alabama as I do about some of the other southern states, but in uh, some of the rural areas um, where they did not have programs for children with disabilities and they definitely did not have schools devoted to children with disabilities, when the law was passed, they had to provide services uh, for those children, but there weren't many of them, you know, in the demographic. And um, often they were in regular schools, whereas in places like the East Coast, if you look down New York, New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, um, being closer to Washington, D.C. and closer to funding streams, um, there, there were separate schools for children with disabilities before there was a mm -hmm. law. So in one way you say, well, you know, they were more progressive because they were providing at least an education. But when the law passed, they did not take those buildings down because they were already serving them. Um, so actually in those states, while they were more progressive before the law, after they were actually restrictive because they were serving fewer children proportionately in regular classes. 
Um, and New Jersey and Hawaii remain and have been historically among the most restrictive states. And do you do you find any correlation between the amount spent per pupil and the rate of inclusion? Um, I haven't actually looked at that data just to give you a definitive answer. And I certainly haven't done any research per se mm -hmm. on it. However, I've worked with many school districts, um, school districts that are um, in Maryland, for example, that are among the highest in wealth nationally and um, districts um, in and outside of Maryland that are in high poverty, either urban or rural areas. And I don't find any relationship between wealth and inclusion based on my experience. Mm. Um. I also don't I, I also don't find a relationship between moving toward more inclusive services and the cost of education in general. In other words, um, districts that are moving to be more inclusive are not necessarily spending more money at the beginning and the end of their effort. They may have more costs related to professional development um, as, and supports as they transition from one kind of a system that is more exclusive or removing children more to a system that's more inclusive. But on the other side of it, um, there does not seem to be added cost. That's very interesting because the, the conventional wisdom is that it, it does cost more. Well, it's really hard to uh, factor in costs when you think about transportation. So, for example, um, if a school district is transitioning to a more inclusive model over time, they will have reduced transportation costs because they're not sending kids all over the district. Um, they would be transporting students to their home school, and the need for an adaptive bus is probably lower because um, every student doesn't need to be in an adapted bus um, it also, if you look at the numbers, you know, I'm sure you, as many educators, have seen classrooms where there's uh, a self-contained class of students who all have physical needs, and you have at least a one-to-one. -one. Sometimes if you have six, teacher, six um, students who use wheelchairs, you may have two educators and four or five assistants, depending on the needs of the students. So, Everybody needs to be wheeled. Well, if you disperse those students into classrooms where there were regular educators and regular kids, um, you may have an aide or you may have a teacher who's in that room um, episodically or even as a co-teacher, but kids learn how to be supportive as well. So you don't always need another adult full time to do some of those kinds of support tasks. Um, well, let's... Let's segue into um, districts that are moving toward inclusive practices, and I know that that's something that you um, that you do. You you offer that support to school districts. Um, what's an example of a school district that has started off with uh, segregated systems for students with disabilities and have successfully moved toward a more inclusive? model? Yeah, we have worked with um, several districts um, in different ways to look at 
um, becoming more inclusive. And we have a process that we use um, that is based on what we we don't have any acronyms and special names. Um, we, it's a three-year building-based change process um, that is grounded in a district-level uh, partnership. Um, when we first began, we really believed that the school was the unit of change. That's where kids are educated, and that's where educators um, needed to have the capacity to include them. And um, our three-year approach has held for over 20 years with, you know, every year we make modifications to it, but the overall approach has, has turned out to be um, very viable, very effective. Um, however, we learned early on that if we didn't engage the district, not just in a partnership and approval and agreement, but actually in um, intensive planning and oversight of the work, the change that happened at the schoolhouse level was entirely dependent on the willingness of that particular administrator. So if the administrator changed, because if the district was not engaged in supporting that inclusive practice, um, it could fall apart if the next administrator didn't believe it, wasn't experienced, um, didn't agree with it, um, you know, or any of those reasons. Or if the key special educators changed and new special educators came in, it was really a challenge because the district was not engaged in messaging, professional development, and curriculum supports that would, you know, maintain that messaging and and support for inclusive practice. So the example that you're giving right now is, is a, an example of a local school, or is it an example of of a district. So, because what it sounds to me like, you know, you have, you're doing professional development with a, a local school administration, and then you have key people in that school who are uh, facilitating this, this change. But if one or more of those pieces are removed for whatever reason, um, that is a big barrier to the, um, the successfulness of this approach. Is, is that what I'm hearing? Um, you're hearing correctly that if the district is not engaged, then the um, it is a barrier to sustaining that work over time. So our process has evolved um, that so that e every school that begins, usually we begin with two to four schools in a district and um, with the idea that they will become demonstration sites where they will demonstrate um, how to include all children, children with significant cognitive disabilities, students with autism, students with uh, emotional disabilities, um, students living in poverty who are affected um, by other circumstances. As we're um, working with the district to identify two to four schools to start, each of those schools creates a leadership team or inclusive practice, whatever they want to call the team. It's their decision. Meanwhile, the district also creates a cross-departmental leadership team, which includes, for example, your curriculum people, student support services, and special ed, um, to oversee what's going on in the schools. At the same time, my staff partners with a district-level support staff 
and they will work with each of the school leadership teams to take them through a very structured process in the first year to um, look at their data, to develop um, a shared understanding of what we mean by inclusion, because everybody has a different mm-hmm. opinion, um, to provide some professional learning related to uh, priorities that the school is already working on, to identify where are the students. Um, do they have a high rate of including students, but they're not feeling terribly successful? If their students are not all in the building, where are they? Um, they may be in regional programs or a special school. And the district support staff with my staff then goes out, they look at everyone, they understand what the reasons were for those students being placed wherever they're placed. And um, around January to March of the year, the schools target grades that will become, um, I'm going to use this word generally, Mm -hmm. fully inclusive, because there's a lot of controversy around the term full inclusion. And um, so the families of those students who are not included will be invited to participate in intensive um, student planning. And we use a very um, structured student planning process that engages the family and the sending teachers in conversation prior to the IEP decision to change the placement. So the family's on board and the, the staff are discussing what the supports and services might be what are the hopes and um, dreams for the student? What are the fears and nightmares? What, are the, what um, does the student bring to the school that will be a contribution to the school community? And it helps the team become more comfortable with understanding who that student is so that after the IEP team uh, decision and design of goals, we then plan directly with the receiving teachers to identify what their expectations are for all students in the class and if those expectations are the same or different for the student who will be included um, what are the academic goals for the class are they the same or different does the student have communication needs does the student have other support needs that need to be addressed so we have a, a, a several tools that we use with the team to make those decisions so that when the student is included they're mm-hmm. ready you know, it's not dumping the students. So inclusion, we really try to reinforce the notion that it's not being in the physical space and breathing the same air. It's really about the supports and services and engagement of that student as a member and a valued participant in the class. Right. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, this work that you're doing right now that you're describing is through the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Ed? Or is this something That's else? That's right. Um, this is a process that we at the Maryland Coalition for Inclusive Education um, started working on um, in the 1990s, and we have been evolving it mm-hmm. over time as we have had districts um, interested in us. Um, and it's been many different projects that have led to the evolution. For example, one uh, for a few years, we had funding to work on um, preschool inclusive practices with a couple of districts. And another year, we had funding to work on secondary inclusive practices. Um, we have worked with a district that had 30 schools, and um, we were funded then to um, support their district-wide inclusion over time. And that, for 30 schools, it took us um, the better part of seven years. Um, We began with four schools. We added on four more the following year. We added on eight more in the third year. And then we did not add any on the year after because we were sort of at capacity, Mm -hmm. um, you know, with those schools involved in change. So if you can imagine, and then we added on more the following year. So if you can imagine over time, they're kind of rolling into that intensive support And after they're at three years, um, it's not true that they don't need anything anymore because it could be a staff change or it could be a a student with an unusual support need that might come in, or it could be that the principal change. So kind of in a fourth and fifth year, there's a need for connection, but perhaps not so much intensive support to that school building. So after seven years, we actually got through – the three-year process with all 30 of their schools. They started at a little more than 50% of their children were actually in their home school um, and included, and the other close to 48% were in separate programs in regional regional placements. Um, By the end of that time, they had 90% of their students included in their neighborhood school and have maintained that rate for 10 years. Wow. Actually over wow, 10 years. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, um, w- what makes a school district want to work with an organization like yours? What happens in that system and that somebody says, you know what, we, we've been doing this wrong. We need help to figure out how to do it right. Um, do you have any specific examples or stories of, of somebody coming to you and saying, you know what, we've been doing this for so long and we need to change, or is it, is it legal action that makes them change? Or, um, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, uh, and I can give you a very specific answer. It is the superintendent 
um, or the assistant superintendent for instruction. They are absolutely key. If they don't have the vision and desire to make this kind of change, um, it will be a real struggle and may not be sustainable. And in any case where we have systemically um, worked over years with the district, it's been with that kind of support. The district that I just mentioned that we worked with over seven years with 30 schools, how that happened was I was doing a presentation on um, making systemic change to become inclusive for schools to Maryland's um, assistant superintendents for instruction. And there was one of them sitting in the front row and she raised her hand and she said, I have no idea how you can possibly talk about doing this without it costing a ton of money. Um, And her district had been wanting to be more inclusive because they were among the most restrictive, but they were adding a special educator at each grade level, kind of school by school, and with the idea that that person would have to be the grade special educator, and every grade doesn't need a whole special educator assigned to them. Um, And they just couldn't figure out organizationally how to do this. And, you know, I said, let's, you know, we can talk because you are spending way too much money putting your, you know, funding into teachers without building the capacity of your schools to change the way they actually schedule students and assign roles and responsibilities. And that discussion led to, um, you know, this long-term relationship. A a recent request we got was from an assistant superintendent who said, um, you know, can you do some training on behavior supports? We're sending way too many kids out of the classroom for problem behavior. And so we talked and I got a better understanding of the issues. And I said, you know, we, you can pay us to do training, but that's not going to solve your problem. Your schools are not scheduling students and assigning roles and relationships in the way that supports students and looking at your school-wide preventive approach to problem behavior. Um, the recent conversations I've been having with districts out of state is where um, somebody in that state found out about this work and the superintendent or assistant superintendent um, approached us and said, can you just talk to us about what you do and how you do it? And so we're now engaged in those conversations for uh, developing a project for supporting them going forward. It's interesting that I do not hear you say that directors of special education are coming to you. Um, is am I hearing that? In one case, <laughs> yeah. In one case, it was a special ed director that initiated um, from one out of state district. Um, another, so no, um, no. I. It's not to say that they're not interested, but I think. It, no. Yeah. I don't have a lot of special ed directors coming to talk right. about it. Right. And, um, I th- and if I could yeah, interject, please. you know, they are not the boss of the principals. So, True. you know, the special ed directors may want change, but they're coming from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really coming from, they have to, they're guardians over the special ed teachers. Right. And they, they're, um, they're often frustrated because general ed is not 
putting into play some of those practices like universal design for learning, promoting an understanding and capacity for differentiation um, in a way that will provide the environments in which their students could be included. Um, uh, how likely do, uh, would you say that the, the two worlds of general and special education will become one? Well, I really wish that um, we as a, a nation and a world were thinking of special education as a service mm -hmm. that's provided to general ed students who need that service. Um, you know, the law describes specially designed instruction. Right. The content, method, and delivery of instruction, end quote. Could you say that one more time? The definition of special, specially designed instruction. So it requires, even just going strictly by the language in the law, it requires general education more than at the table. It's the core of how special ed and general ed are supposed to work in concert. Right. Um, and, you know, in an ideal world, if we had general ed instruction that was very effective, engaging for students, um, based on universal design for learning frameworks, or at least um, differentiated for students based on the different interests and talents and um, skills that they have, um, you know, with teachers who understood how to use cooperative learning structures and engage students in activity-based um, instruction, and then design interventions for students who weren't being successful. So the key is, I think it's a little trite to just say MTSS, multi-tiered system of supports mm -hmm. school-wide, but really if a school building and supported by the district is looking at designing interventions for students who are not being successful and students who have disabilities are part of that community, right. they would be getting the reading and math interventions or behavior interventions based on what they need. And then they would only need more very specific um, special intervention or instruction that's unique to that particular disability. It would make special education very different. It would make it very disability focused and not so much whether you're performing at above or below grade level. Do you have any advice for parents or families who may be listening that's saying, I want this for my son or daughter. Uh, I want this for my child. Um, where would you say for them to go to move inclusion forward? For parents, this is particularly difficult because when a parent wants their child included, um, they are pretty much at the mercy of the attitude, belief system, and traditions of the district that they're in and the school that they're in. Many educators are limited by the experiences they've had, which is based on the traditions of the district. Some educators think that their experience is the reality everywhere. 
and their experience may be very, very limited. Um, so parents are at the mercy of what those traditions um, and attitudes are if their child is not being included or the team does not want to include their child. Um, they have to make a decision about whether they move their child to another school or whether they want to fight the district and oftentimes get a lawyer. And if they win, will their child still be in a situation where they're not going to be as wanted? Um, as a parent, I think parents um, are going to make the decision that is going to work best for their child. And I know some parents who have said, I want my child in a separate setting because what's going to happen to them in general ed is not good because they're not wanted. You know, no parent wants their child to be unwanted. Um, so I feel like it's our obligation as educators to build our capacity to be inclusive. We don't need to build our capacity to be segregated. We know how to do that very, very well. We need to build our capacity to be inclusive. Um, so families can you know, join together. They seek other families who've had good experiences, um, seek advocates when needed. Fantastic. Thank you, Carol Quirk, for being on the podcast. So, Tim, there is a question you didn't ask me. Oh, where did I miss it? Which one? Well, um, I, the question that I often get, you know, given the discussion that we've had, is um, in many schools that have undergone a systemic change process like the one I mm -hmm. described, they do and can achieve at least 90% of their kids being included. And we've seen that sustained over years. So who are those other 10%? Oh. Who are the 10% that those schools and districts that are striving to be inclusive, who is it that they're not being successful with? Well, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer to that is uh, sort of twofold, and this is a little bit oversimplified, um, but it may be as you would suspect or your listeners would suspect are students who have behavior that is interfering with their own learning or the learning of others. Um, and those are more often than not, I'm seeing that these students, um, sometimes students who have a neurological disability like autism, um, where their behavior may be unpredictable and the educators can't figure out how to provide the supports to minimize the impact of the disability mm -hmm. or they don't understand the behavior. Um, but the, the majority of kids are um, that I'm seeing more, at least this year, are students who are in families that are impoverished, drug addicted, and they're living in pretty traumatic situations um, where you know their mom hasn't come home in four days, um, where their dad, uh, cops came last night and arrested their dad who left and went to jail, um, who a uh, student who has bipolar disorder and parents are selling their medications. Um, students who are living in situations where they don't know which of their relatives' homes they're sleeping in tonight. Um, you know, so these students are experiencing life situations that are... Um, truly experiences that the average middle-class American does not experience, certainly not as a right. child, um, and that are, are causing behaviors. And 
schools are not really prepared to deal with trauma and deal with cultural differences. So um, that's one group of students. The other are um, students who have more significant cognitive and communicative um, disabilities and intensive support needs whose families are really uncomfortable with whether or not their child will be accepted and learning. And the districts have chosen to support those families by providing a self-contained setting um, while simultaneously working with those families to encourage them to plan with them to have their child included. All right. All right, Tim. Great Great to to talk talk to you. you. All right. Have a good evening. All right. Uh Bye-bye. If you would like to hear the entire unedited recording of my interview with Carol Quirk, consider becoming a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. Follow the Think Inclusive podcast on the web at thinkinclusive.us. Tell us what you thought of the podcast via Twitter at inclusive underscore pod or find us on Facebook or Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or on the Anchor app. We love to know that you are listening. Also, a reminder that you can support the Think Inclusive podcast via Patreon or anchor.fm with a monthly contribution so we can continue to bring you the in-depth interviews with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy. On that note, thank you to Patreons Donna L., Gabby M., Tori D., Kathleen T., and Veronica E. for the continued support of the podcast, as well as our new $1 a month Patreons. Every little bit helps. Also, a special shout out to my producer and love of my life, Brianna. Happy birthday, darling. Sorry, it's the same day as Father's Day. Thanks to my boys, you know who you are, for all your feedback and suggestions. It is greatly appreciated. We are all trying 
to become the Mandalorian. Next time on the Think Inclusive podcast. Uh, LRE is a, a dirty word. Uh, when you ask for it, they tell you no. They have all sorts of reasons why, none of which are legally sustainable. Um, they never first consider an inclusive placement and determine whether or not it might work. They just offer you a segregated classroom. Thanks for your time and attention. See you next time.